And good morning. Do not get in a push-up contest with Hunter. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you. Or a pull-up contest. I wouldn't get in any physical contest with Hunter. I just <laughs> put it that way. Oh, I wanted to let you know it's my wife's birthday today. I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but she's not that old. She's not that old yet. But, you know, we've been talking about Paul's ministry. And we've been talking about who Paul is and was as a man. And how God had to work with him constantly to get him to the point where he was going to be effective, particularly with the Corinthians. And there's a passage over in um, 2 Corinthians 4 that I want to start off with, because the title of this message is, We Have This Ministry. And Paul says here in, in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. It's obvious from the scripture, particularly 2 Corinthians, that we are all considered to be ministers of reconciliation. We were put here for the purpose, we were saved for the purpose of saving other people, reaching out to other people, helping other people come to know Christ. That's what our responsibility is, all of us. If that's shocking to you, then we might need to do some more preaching on that. But the point is, we are all in this together. We are an army with a mission. Not everybody does the same thing, but we are an army. We are a family. We are a, a unified group of brothers and sisters who have something to say to the world. And here, I want to raise the question for you. What kind of ministry do you have? Paul says we have this ministry, and he goes through, we're going to talk about some of that, what it means to have a ministry like Paul. But we're just not doing this third person. We're just not studying from afar. We're studying, looking for a blueprint of what to put into our ministry to make it more effective. You know, we want to be effective with people, right? I'd like to, every time I open my mouth for Jesus, I wish somebody would come around. But they just don't do that. Very few of them do. But the ones that do make all the difference. And so I wanted to think us for us to think about the kind of ministry we want to have, particularly as we move into 2018 with the new theme that we've got before us, Mission Love. What kind of minister do you really want to be? Paul starts off this book and he says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Paul was comforted through his troubles. And because of that, he was more prepared to deal with the Corinthians in their troubles. 
And that's part of the reason he wasn't allowed to go to Macedonia, I mean, from Macedonia into Corinth as quick as he wanted to. Not only did God have a plan for him, but he wasn't ready himself, and he knew that. Notice down in verse 23, chapter 1, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Paul had to deal with being fed up just like the rest of us. And sometimes people make you fed up. I mean, they'll just, like I said, I think it was last week, they'll drive you crazy. But we're here to comfort people. That's one of the main things in our ministry, to comfort people. We have something to say that will bring comfort to their lives, that will bring peace to their lives. We've got to believe people are really lost. And all the imagery and worldly imagery that says they're successful, underneath all that facade, there's pain, there's heartache, there's disruptive, dysfunctional families, there's people hurting. Underneath all that. And we have been given the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the one who is central to our preaching, central to our teaching. He's the one we imitate. And that's the reason we can be people who comfort other people. You know, it's great when we break up in a group, so hopefully everybody's in a group now. If you're not, you're in sin. But anyway. <laughs> but isn't it great to have a group where you feel like you can just come and be comforted? You can just lay it all out. You can get open, talk about your sin, hopefully res uh, resolve some conflicts and relationships. But isn't that a great place to be able to go? Yeah. <coughs> to know that God is a God of comfort. And then it says in, down in verse 12, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we conducted ourselves in the world, especially in our relationships with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. You know, integrity is huge in our relationships with one another. Speaking the truth in love. Not speaking the truth harshly in love, but speaking the truth in love. And that's part of our responsibility with one another. And we've got to do it with integrity and with sincerity. I don't just want to disciple you because I'm upset with you or I'm fed up with you. That's what Paul's saying. I didn't want to just come because it'd be another painful visit. I wanted to come knowing that God is a God of comfort and knowing in my heart that I've dealt with you Corinthians with sincerity and with a clear conscience. Whether or not things got completely resolved with the Corinthians seems like they did. But there was always issues that were going to come up. But resolution and integrity, sincerity, were huge to Paul. And we've got to be people like that. We've got to be people that are honest with, with people in the world, straightforward. That's where our boldness comes from. That's where our confidence comes from. You know why? Because we have the answer. It's great knowing you have the answer. That you don't have to search for the answer anymore when you're following Christ. 
He is the answer. He gives you the answers. He tells you what to believe. He shows you how to minister to people. He is the only solution that we have. I have nothing else to offer the world. I wish I could put on a seminar on how to get financially successful. But no one would come because I'm not financially successful. I wish I could do a lot of things, but that, that, that I don't have anything to offer. But I'll guarantee you, I'll offer you Jesus Christ. Amen. I will offer you Jesus Christ. And he will take it off. Another important part of a ministry is it for, for it to be positive, inspiring, not driven with harshness and legality, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by a deep desire in all of us to want to see people come to Christ. And here in verse uh, 18 again, we read this. I think last week, but I want to go over it again. You just never can get everything out of t one text, you know. There's always something else. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That shows the centrality of Christ. The answers are in Christ. The yes is in Christ. Amen. And he's saying, we need to start focusing on Christ and put all this bickering back and forth between us. It's not yes and no, yes and no. It's yes, always yes. If there's conflict in relationship, what is the yes in that? Resolution. You can actually be resolved with another human being. You know, I hear different things about unresolved feelings. Sometimes people come and they'll talk and have feelings about things. And that's okay, as long as they deal with the feelings. Because not being resolved is not an option. If you come tell me you got feelings about somebody, that's okay. Let's talk about it. But then let's get it resolved. Because it's not resolved, then we're not doing well with it. Someone's in sin. Someone doesn't resolve things. Doesn't want to resolve things. Here are a couple passages to keep in mind. They're both over in Matthew. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to God, then come and offer your gift. In other words, I will guarantee you there are some people in this room who know somebody has something against them. There's an awkwardness there. There's a weirdness. He said something. Somebody got their feelings hurt. Never really talked about it. 
there's another person that maybe you just don't like. I love them, but I don't know if I like them, which is kind of a contradiction. I know what you mean, but it doesn't fit the biblical text. And so if you know there's a person that you need to get tighter with, there's an awkwardness, what are you doing about it? Where are you going with it? Maybe you're taking the position, well, I've said all I'm going to say. I've done all I'm going to do. It's over. If they want to change, they can come to me. That's not what it says. Responsibility is on you. But I don't have an issue with that. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other person. That's one option. Now look over in Matthew 18. One or two options. In verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen to the church, tell it to the church. They refuse to listen even to the church. Treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. In other words, what is Jesus saying? The bottom line, you better get resolved. You have one or two options. You know somebody that you've offended or has an issue with you, you're responsible to go to them. If somebody offends you or sins against you, you're responsible to them, to go to them. So what needs to happen, basically, is these two people need to come together. Boom. They need to work things out, resolve things. That's what the Bible is teaching. And, you know, I, I want the groups in, the, uh, uh, in our church to be loving groups, comforting groups, groups that are, are, are united together. And when we refuse to communicate, when we know we need to communicate... We just end up putting one, each other in the doghouse, you know? My mom was good at that with me. <laughs> She'd put me in the doghouse. Kathy tried that too, but I didn't fall for it. <laughs> Kathy would come home and she'd say, I'm mad at you. She'd walk <laughs> off. And so all day long, what did I have to do? I had to worry about how are we going to resolve this, all that. Finally, I just started saying, you know, I've ha I'm having a great day. I don't know what your day's like, but my day is going fantastic. I'm willing to listen to your day, but I will not take the blame for your day. Because usually when the wives start talking, sooner or later, the guns are going to come towards you. <laughs> I mean, they might be shooting out here, but sooner or later, <laughs> you are linked into that problem. It's like a cannon. It's like a cannon, isn't it? <laughs> Let's just get together, brothers and sisters. If you can't resolve something, get some help. I'll help you. Joe will help you. Our wives will help you. We'll do anything we can. Gio will help you. Yeah. Who else? Gio? Karen? 
That's Yields raise his hand. He wants to help. <laughs> but we've got to be united. There is no other option. Another reason we can be so excited in Christ is, and uh, uh, optimistic is because we're being led. Notice in verse 14 of chapter 1, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. He's leading you. In other words, when you get up in the morning, he is trying to lead you into mission love. He's trying to lead you into a mission, into your ministry, to, to go beyond just what you're doing and see the potential for spreading the gospel. Whether it's by benevolence, for spending time with people. Ultimately, you've got to get down to sharing Jesus with people. But we're being led. And there's comfort in that. Because you know God doesn't lead you to defeat. Always leads you to victory. God doesn't understand defeat. It's never in his vocabulary, never in his mind, never in his way of thinking. And here we are um, with the gospel. We've got the good news. We've got something to share. We've got the answer, and we're being led. That's a powerful sense of confidence that we should have. But notice here in verse 12, he says, Now when I went to Troy, I to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there who had news about the Corinthians. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. The point here is God opens doors. Are you willing to go through them? Are you willing to knock on them? What are you willing to do with that door? You know, I was in a... Remember Sandy Atmore? She was the one who did the, the grief recovery. Well, she's married to Larry Atmore. I met Larry Atmore back in the early 90s. I was in a party store. And I was just in there. We were having a party or something, I guess. I was getting party stuff. I don't know why else is in there. But I went up. To, there was someone helping me, and I just said, hey, you know, you believe in God or? Jesus, or you want to talk, or anything like that? And the guy said, no, no, I'm not interested in all, at all. You know, you feel a little rejection, you kind of, you know, back off, you know, okay, fine. And, but then uh, Larry comes around the corner. He looks at me and says, what about me? And I was so into myself, I, I, I said, what about you? I mean, I just... <laughs> Jesus is standing there going. Well, he said, I'm interested in coming. I'm just interested in talking about God. He became a Christian. Years later, uh, met uh, Sandy at a singles conference, and here we are. I wish I could say that was because I was so incredibly bold and loving. (laughs) Back then, I was probably trying to meet some legalistic goal share with so many people a day, work your way to heaven, all that kind of stuff. 
and God just opened the door. When people come to you and ask you to go to church, I mean, you got to realize, mm, this must be an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying there are a lot of doors and a lot of pain out there, and Larry was in a lot of pain, spiritually, emotionally. And the fact that he came around was just a miracle in and of itself, all the stuff he'd been through. Now he's a great brother, great husband, doing fantastic things for God. So you got to ask yourself, where are your doors? What doors do you need to open? You probably know they're there. What relationships do you just need to kind of start knocking on? Sometimes it takes a while with some relationships. It takes time and patience. It took about, it was a six-month, we went to Germany and started uh, studying with people. It was a six-month thing was the average, taking somebody from the start all the way through to they're ready to become a Christian because they're such a secular nation. Had to be patient. When you study with people, got to be patient. Oh, they didn't show up. Okay, you know, got to be patient. Got to be loving. Got to be caring. Got to be giving all the time. And God will lead people to you. If you don't have this on your heart, why would he put anybody in your life? You probably just run them off or make them think ill things about Christianity. You've got to be fired up. You've got to be excited. You have the answer. They don't have the answer. They don't have the answer. Christ is the only answer that we have. Let me go over one more point and then we'll be done. Why is this a positive ministry we should have? Because it transforms lives. It's a transformative ministry. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are confident in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Now let's stop here for a minute. This is a longer point, so. He's comparing covenants here. He's comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. These are not just different contracts. As a covenant, it's a contract between two people. You had the old contract God had with his people through Mount Sinai, Moses, giving the law and all that. And then you have the new covenant that came through Christ. These are completely different contracts. Some similarities, but what is drastically different is the mindset. You have an old covenant mindset and a new covenant mindset. Old covenant mindset is of the letter. Yeah. 
The new covenant is of the Spirit, and that's what gives life. And he said, yeah, sure, because he's dealing with false teachers in Corinth. He said, sure, yeah. What happened under Moses was glorious. That was a great time. I mean, God showing the Ten Commandments, uh, Moses coming down, his face is so full of glory and radiance, he has to cover it with a veil. I mean, that, that's kind of cool. I mean, if you were Moses, you'd be feeling, wow, that's just pretty nice. But now that Christ has come, the old covenant way of thinking is dead. It's over. Now, what is that thinking? What is it that kills us? What is it about the letter that kills us? Well, we measure our spirituality by external means. Some of us are going to get into a mindset. Mission love. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to this, 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 this. I'm going to share with 10 people. Got to have a quiet time for at least an hour every day. Got to get all my ducks in a row, then I'm ready to go. Let me tell you, that's going to kill you. Yeah. It's going to kill you every time. Because you know what? When you're feeling pretty good, let's say you convert 10 people in 2018. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. You know what my question is to you? Why not 11? You scum. Only 10? <laughs> 10? Took you a whole year to do 10? Were you praying? Fasting? What were you doing all that time? It'll get you every time. I had a, when we were uh, planted at Denver Church, we had somebody, oh, that's not mine. Um, <laughs> we had um, somebody that would literally come to staff meetings and, and challenge all of us with how long he prayed, how many people he shared with, this, that, and the other. It was a constant thing, you know. Um, I finally just put a stop and said, look, I appreciate you sharing all the good things you're doing, but I'd rather talk about what God's doing right now Amen. because we need to get, you know, fired up about him. Right. We're not doing this on our own. Our competence doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God, right. who is equal to such a task. Right. The only reason we're equal to it is because our competence comes from God. Legalism will kill you every time. I was uh, discipling a brother in Boston, and um, that guy had a things to do list. It might even impress the Lord. I mean, it, it, it was it, it, it was like, and he'd come in, and he'd he'd be uh, kind of down sometimes. And he says, I'm just not accomplishing anything. Just not accomplishing. I said, can I see your list? I just crumbled it up. I said, this is the best thing you can do with this list. Put it right over there, baby. Now, there are times you need to write things down. But when you start conducting everything you do like that and measuring yourself by that, that's the danger. Not the utilization of the tool. We need a things to list, a things to do list to get things done to do it. But don't act like you're something. 
because of that. Because you, you know what? You won't depend on God anymore. Paul is saying we got to stay in a suffering kind of mode, a mode where we know we are not competent. You know why? Because you'll get on your knees and pray. When you're with someone and you don't know how to minister to them, you're, you're going to be praying. You're going to be getting advice. You're going to be opening up. You, I need help. Now notice, and then we'll finish after this, because I want to get to the passage. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. You know what it meant for a Jew of, of Paul's level of attainment, educational attainment, his influence, his leadership, to say we are not like Moses? Moses was everything to the Jews. He says we're not like Moses. Paul, you're saying you're not like Moses? Nope, not like Moses. Who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, now listen here, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now that is ministry. Amen. That's the basis for ministry. We are being transformed in the process of ministering to other people, and we are in the process of transforming other people. It comes from a Lord who is a spirit. What kind of ministry do you have? When you think of ministry, it's a kind of, oh, jeez. Maybe you're afraid about all the talk of mission love. Man, I've never done this kind of stuff before. Maybe you're feeling a lot of different things. But just know you're being led. God has not left you alone. He expects you to step on out on the water and start walking like Peter did. And when you get on the water, you're going to want to sink a little bit because you're going to wonder why am I out on the water? You shouldn't be out on the water walking, but you're out on the water walking. Why are you questioning you're out on the water walking when you're out on the water walking? Because of lack of faith. We're going to reach some people who seem open at first, but then they're not. We're going to invite people over to dinner and make this big dinner, and they won't come. That's one thing about Germans. When they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. It was awesome. Remember that, honey? We'd be sharing on the streets of Berlin, and I'd invite someone to dinner that night. I never thought they would come. Six o'clock. I'd open the door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we always had a lot of spaghetti on hand, though. It always, that, all, that always worked. But I just want to leave you with these thoughts, brothers and sisters, that you guys are awesome. We've done a lot, lot together this past year. And 2018 is going to be a great year. And we're going to do great things. And God is going to do great things in you because he's great and he thinks you're great enough to work through you. And if God thinks you're great enough to work through, don't you think you ought to agree with him?
So let's have a great year. Let's have a great Christmas, and we will see you soon. Amen.